You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. That's why Deuteronomy 6.4 is like, love Lord God, your heart, your soul, and mind, your strength. And then teach these things to your kids. Well, let's make sure we're loving God first. Let's make sure God is our priority first. One of the big reasons people don't read the Bible is because the top reason is they say they don't have time. I don't buy it. We make time for what's important. Hands down. We make time for what's important. The number one influence on the faith and worldview of a young person is not Disney Plus. It's not Netflix. It's not TikTok. It's not Hollywood. It's not the educational system. It's mom and dad. This is Adam Griffin. I'm here with my co-hosts. First, Jen Exer, Cassie Bryant. No, How you doing today, I'm Cassie? I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. Are yeah. you a millennial? Yeah. Don't I act like one? Oh, I don't know. What's the difference? I was born in 80. What does that make me? I'm, a, well, she, I'm Gen X. I think, you're, the tail end. I think you're the first millennial then. Oh. I'm 83. I'm a young. Cassie? Chelsea? What do you think? Cassie was a fashion design major, and I think that makes her a millennial. Oh, okay. Oh, That's true. Wow. Yeah. They didn't fired. have those before. <laughs> of Only course, you're hearing, yeah. you're hearing my lovely wife, Chelsea Griffin, <laughs> who defies generation definitions. So how are you doing today, Chelsea? <laughs> well, I just found out I'm a millennial, too. Uh, I don't know what millennial things I do. Just struggling. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start, struggling. I'm going to start using upspeak, where I end my sentences like a, like a question. Like, <laughs> do you hear that? That's... That's a millennial thing to do. So I think that I was take- actually a question. So you'd say like today's episode, we have our guest, author, speaker, educator, <laughs> Sean McDowell. Hey guys, Sean McDowell's here with us too. Welcome, Sean McDowell. Yay! How you doing today, Sean? I'm good. Sorry to bring it down, but I'm going to bring my Gen X angst here to I'm the jealous. conversation. <laughs> got my Pearl Jam T-shirt on, and exactly. I'm just- oh, I love Pearl Jam. <laughs> Sean, I've got a big question for you. You're in California this morning, right? That's right. Okay, are, how many people are left? Because I feel like I keep meeting people here in Texas that are like moved from California. How are things there? L- literally, like seriously, how are things in California? Everything going all right? Here's what I know. Now that I travel to places like Texas, Tennessee, and Florida, I get this look of disparagement like, wow, you're from California. What's wrong with you? But <laughs> don't move here and join us. Stay in California, please. That's funny. We've got enough Californians in the area. Yeah, we're, we're full. <laughs> the we're full. Just to put up the no vacancy sign. All right. Well, Sean, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time to be with us. I loved your book that we're going to talk about today, but obviously you've written a lot of things and many of them pertain to what we t- want to talk about today. But before we jump into the conversation, would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners, letting them know a little bit about your family and your ministry? Yeah. Along with being a Gen Xer born in 1976, I'm a full-time professor at <laughs> Biola University. At Talbot School of Theology, I teach apologetics in particular in a grad program. actually teach one undergrad class and one high school class part-time at a local Christian school where my kids go and my wife teaches. My heart is really the next generation. I know we'll get into that. But on top of that, I write and uh, speak and just do a lot of different social media things, really in the realm of pass on the faith, reaching young people, apologetics, worldview, and cultural engagement. Love it. That's so great. Well, we've got you here uh, this morning to talk about this book, So the Next Generation Will Know. 
um, and to talk about what the next generation is facing. In the intro of the book, you say that this generation will face more challenges just one click away than previous generations did. Help us understand that and what is different about the, what is different that this generation is facing. Yeah, that stems from their unique digitally native background. This is the first generation. You could say maybe some of the tail end of millennials, this is true. Mm. But Gen Zers were swiping smartphones and tablets before many could read or even speak. I still don't even know that we know the level of how much this affects their brains and their relationships and their worldviews. So one thing that happens on social media, and by the way, when I talk about this in smartphones, I love my smartphones. I love social media. There's an amazing upside to it that we can have this podcast and potentially reach people around the world. But we don't always think about how technology shapes us. And what happens on a smartphone, like you said, Cassie, is now young people have more moral challenges one click away. They have more intellectual challenges one click away. They have more spiritual and relational challenges. So previous generations that could get away from this, if a kid was bullied at school, Hmm. go home and you have some space or go to a different school, potentially. Now, not only can you not get away from it, but more people are going to pile on top of it than ever before. Mm. So that's the kind of challenges this generation faces. Yeah, that's so interesting. We were have we have like a parent support group for teen parents at our church, and we had a mom who was just sharing, sharing that she thought she could avoid it by not letting her kid have social media or smartphone, but just by way of her friends having it, her friend had posted something mean about her daughter um, on the on the social media platform that they were on. And so then they couldn't even see it because they didn't have the media platform. So the mom's talking oh, about man. how like, I had to get on to even see what it was. And it's just, there's really no way to even protect, you know, our kids from it rather than we need to be teaching them to steward it, right? And like how to interact with with that interface. Uh, one of the challenges that your book addresses is how many young people are identifying as atheists and how many of them are leaving the church. You list some of the reasons they say why they're leaving, but we want to hear what kind of reasons you're seeing this generation um, is leaving for. Yeah, I co-wrote this with a friend of mine who's a former atheist, cold case detective. At I think about 35, he became a Christian. So one of the things he did is on this chapter of young people leaving the faith is he used his detective skills hmm. and tr- he's a cold case detective and track down every article and study we could find on why young people are disengaging the faith. And as it might not surprise you, there's a lot of different reasons why. But I think there's a, there's a handful of key ones. Number one, if we look at the positive reasons a young person would keep their faith, the largest study I'm aware of by Vern Bankston out of USC, uh, he studied 3,500 people over 35 years, four generations. Wow. And found the most significant factor in faith transmission is a, quote, warm relationship with the father. Hmm. A warm relationship with the father. doesn't make the mother unsignificant. I think it just shows that the father tends to be more of a wild card. But that tells us at the heart of so many people disengaging the faith is a relational component, I hear stories of people who deconstruct all the time, whether it's their parents, whether it's their church, whether it's Christians. Bad experiences naturally cause somebody to disengage the faith. So hypocrisy, legalism, 
That's a huge reason a kid won't. Another big reason are just questions and doubts. Uh, this is generation faced. I was just thinking about this morning how when my father would go speak on college campuses, get thousands of people out to hear the case for Christianity. Well, atheists and skeptics didn't have the same avenue to young people as now everybody has through the internet and social media. I mean, I use things like, believe it or not, TikTok, but there are Mormons on TikTok, Muslims on TikToks, progressive Christians, atheists. Everybody has a voice to this generation. So when you add relational brokenness, you add questions and doubts, I think on a worldview level, those are two of the bigger reasons why young people disengage their faith. Wow, thank you for sharing that. In your book, you also talk about, um, quote, starting early as far as addressing some of the reasons why uh, teenagers are leaving the church later. Um, A ton of our listeners are parents of young children. What does it look like to start early as a parent addressing some of the tougher questions our kids are struggling with? Well, the most important thing, perhaps, is to create an environment where questions and doubt are okay and, in fact, invited. That's good. So this research came first. It was called Sticky Faith. And this was – it started with older or young, younger millennials. And I think it's continued today that young people don't disengage the faith because of doubts. It's largely because of unexpressed doubts. So when I share this data, I'll ask parents – I'll ask teachers, I'll ask pastors, do you create an environment where doubt is okay and it's invited? And you model how to follow Jesus amidst questions and uncertainty. So with my own kids, when I tuck them in at night, my youngest now is 10. One of the things I'll say to them is I'll say, hey, buddy, you can ask your dad anything. You can ask me anything. I'm not going to shame him. I'm not going to be quick to judge him. In fact, when he asks a good question, my youngest is really just, he asks me these great theological questions uh, that kind of amazed me when he was eight, nine, 10 years old. And I just go, wow, buddy, what a good question. I love yeah. that you use your mind and ask questions. And then I'll just ask questions like, what do you think? What does the Bible say? Let's go to the text. More important than me, and note, I'm an apologist, then answering this <laughs> is making sure my kids know it's okay to ask questions yeah. and we can find an answer together. So as early as our kids, Chelsea, we just create an environment. Oh, I love your questions. What do you think? Engagement yeah. dialogue. And of course, if we're not modeling a faith that's attractive to our kids, and we're not building relationships with our kids, then it really doesn't matter what we say. That's good from an apologist, because I'm sure you you have the right answers, technically. (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm sure you do. But uh, I love hearing you say that that's not the most important thing. Although, of course, we should know our faith. As parents, we do want to have you know, some fundamental understanding of what it is we're trying to impart. Something we love to say on the show is a quote from a guy we like. rest in peace, Howard Hendricks, uh, is you, you cannot impart what you do not possess. And so if you don't have it, then you can't, you can't pass it down. So speaking of that, so a lot of the questions the kids might have, doubts they're facing or things they're struggling with, um, we know that parents are struggling with those too. How do you encourage parents to equip themselves to address these tough issues? Like you're saying, go, we're going to go find the answer together. Can you help our parents who maybe di- weren't raised in the church, weren't discipled? How do they equip themselves to address these questions? 
you are throwing me an amazing softball, and I appreciate it because this oh, is exactly what I try to do. Mm. And and I'll tell you what's interesting. I was just reading a study this morning about the state of the Bible and theology in America, even among evangelicals. So we see, and, and I hate to use the term, but if these studies are right, you could potentially say just alarming views amongst evangelicals who say the Bible and Jesus really matter about how many would say you can get to G- you can get to God through ways other than Jesus that humans are naturally born good mm. these kinds of things at least self-identifying evangelicals will often claim at far higher rates wow. than we would expect well what's ironic is you're seeing the trend go in that direction at the same time it's never been easier because we've never had more tools to learn good theology and apologetics than ever before. Yeah. So one of the big reasons people don't read the Bible is because the top reason is they say they don't have time. I don't buy it. We make time for what's important. That's right. Hands Amen. down. We make time for what's important. So how can a parent practically do this? Well, number one, follow good podcasts that teach how to answer tough questions. Right? Ooh, have you ever heard of any good podcasks out there? Yeah, well, do you know, do you know of any? <laughs> Here's some we, I would we recommend. We haven't found a single one yet. Right? None that actually do this. Well, here's some I listen to. One of my mentors, Greg Kokel at Stand Reason, does an hour podcast a week, and he's a call-in radio, Tough Questions. That's good. I listen to not only what he answers, but how. William Lane Craig, one of the leading Christian apologists in the world, I listen to his weekly Podcast. There's so many more, but those are two good ones. Good. I go host a podcast called Think Biblically, yeah. and it's about cultural issues. How do we think biblically about them? And it's 30 minutes. Put on double speed is 15 minutes. <laughs> but w- w- what I do is I listen to them when I'm driving, listen to them if I'm exercising. Like you can find time if I'm making breakfast. I was listening to it this morning. My son walked in, so I took my headphones out to be present with my son, but yeah. I was listening to it while I made breakfast. That's one thing. There's great YouTube channels. People like Mike Winger, great Bible teaching on YouTube. Alan Parr, great Bible teaching on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel in which I do apologetics. There's people who do it on Instagram, people who do it on TikTok. Now, of course, anybody has a microphone today, and they all claim to be experts. So the key is finding people you can trust. That's That's a huge factor. But from books from podcasts, from social media. I tell young people, I'm like, look, if you're on TikTok having fun, follow me or a few other people that at least give you a few times a week some good Bible theology amidst the other stuff you're watching. It's not that hard if we just prioritize it and naturally weave it into our day. Anyone can do it. I love what you're saying. That's that's so helpful, and I love the the practical next steps a listener can like uh, stop listening to this right now and jump onto your podcast and probably be way <laughs> better off. But uh, one of the things you I, I want to touch on this because I think sometimes uh, there can be something kind of scary in what you're saying, in the sense of like if we're raising a generation right now who's who's really good. I think you call them skilled researchers who's really good at clicking through things, finding things on the internet, and not knowing, maybe not having the wherewithal to say what is a a truth teller and what is uh, somebody that would lead them astray or. Uh, maybe even a parent is going. I don't. I don't know if this is this the podcaster to listen to. Is this the YouTuber to listen to? Is you, you talk about them as skilled researchers because they're so connected digitally, like you said at the beginning of this conversation. 
Is there a way you see for families maybe to do that kind of research together? Or is that something we need just to provide guidance and space for kids to build that on their own? You see how, like, it could be scary for an adult just to say, well, I want you as a kid, since you kind of exist in this digital world, to be able to find some good resources for yourself. How, how do families navigate that together? I think it has to be done together because I saw a study just this week that said Gen Zers have a hard time distinguishing between real news and fake news. Yeah. That was that was the study. But when I talk to Gen Zers, they're like, look, this is the world we've grown up in. We know better than our parents do because we navigate this nonstop. <laughs> yeah. Bottom line is we all need help in this area. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And one thing I try to do is I just try to find I do two things. One is I listen to multiple voices. So if you look at That's my good. podcast, if you look at YouTube channels I follow I follow people from a range of perspectives because oftentimes it's people with a different perspective that will point out a weakness or a blind spot or help me see that, you know what, because my worldview, I was probably biased on this one. Hmm. So I tend to listen to both sides, but I also try to find people who are just less polemical and actually care about the truth. So even on news, when I find somebody is just their shock, their awe, they're getting listeners. I'm like, you know what? There might be some truth in there, but I get tired of weeding that out. I want somebody who's a little bit more balanced. And I I don't, maybe I'll get in trouble mentioning this, but there's plenty of people who promote certain things. Somebody I found on a conservative side, like I'll listen to the New York Times podcast. Mm -hmm. I actually listen to Slate Magazine podcast, both on the left. I found someone like Megyn Kelly is a good newscast, right? Ask good questions, does her homework, isn't just polemical like other people. So people might disagree, but the point is try to find voices of people who you think care about truth, willing to ask the tough questions, concede a point when they're wrong, and I just try to weed out and follow them. So when it comes to theology, that's especially important that we have good Bible teachers. Now, it doesn't mean they're necessarily right. Those in Acts 17, remember it says they examine the scriptures daily. We have to keep doing that, but I want to follow people who I think have integrity and care about truth, and I try to find those key voices to follow. Hey friends, it's March, and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They've got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order.
Sometimes hard things happen. Sometimes they happen to children. When God Makes Scribbles Beautiful is a beautifully illustrated book that helps kids trust that God can take their hard things and use them for good. This picture book imagines that the hard things in a child's life is a scribble following him everywhere. Readers will journey through God's promises from the Bible, inspiring hope and faith in God's good and redemptive plan. Hard things don't always go away, but God can turn them into something beautiful. Available at BeautifulScribbles.com. Download a free parent connection guide and printable scripture cards. I think what you just brought up in, in talking about news and even what you see on the internet and fake news uh, and, 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 you know, good theology in there too is really helpful to th- consider because I, I think our, the parents feel the weight of the studies that you talked about, that what if my kid leaves is a pretty scary idea. What if my kid finds yeah. false information? What if I'm being misled? Who can I trust? And those who you do listen to, a lot of the news that's out there is a very, the sky is falling alarmist, regardless of who you're listening to. It's, it's, uh, yep. it, it seems to me that most of the news is, uh, if you just listened to it and took every word they were saying, it should produce anxiety in you. And anxiety is actually what we see a lot in this generation. You describe them as, in your book, you describe them as overwhelmed, but we see a lot of stress and anxiety. Can you help us? What is the Christian answer? Because I know this is a big deal for so many families. What is the Christian family's answer to my kids are stressed and I'm stressed and we live in a, in a culture that is anxious? How do we address that biblically? Well, we go to scripture and it talks about casting all our anxieties upon the Lord. There's biblical teaching here. There's a there's a, a study called State of the Bible by the American Bible Society, uh, 2022. And they said people who are engaged in the scripture are less likely to feel anxious. Mm. And maybe because it's scriptural teaching that says when it's all said and done, God is sovereign. God is in control. It's not about me. It's about God and loving others. God can heal us through our hurts and our anxiety. Now, I'm not saying that's a panacea for everything. I think there's a time and place for certain medicine and professional help. We are body and we are soul. But if we want our kids to not be anxious, bottom line is we've got to look ourselves in the mirror and ask what kind of lives are we living? Because if we're just anxious all the time, our kids are going to catch that. They're going to reflect that. Whether we realize it or not, this is passed on. So what's so fascinating about writing the book that we're discussing is how much both the Bible and study show, rather than first trying to fix our kids, look in the mirror first and get Mm. ourselves healthy. Because number one, our kids model after us. But number two, like we can only really love them and care for them when we're not anxious in our own lives. That's, That's why Deuteronomy 6.4 is like, love Lord God, with your heart, your soul, and mind, your strength. And then teach these ki- things to your kids. Well, yeah. let's make sure we are loving God first. Let's make sure God is our priority first. Yeah. So with anxiety, that's a biblical approach, I think. That's really that's helpful. That's so great. You read a lot of studies I'm picking up on, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> I, I The earlier one that you mentioned, the state of theology one that I think came out, was it yesterday? It feels alarming. And I, in your book, you talk about some of the statistics that we are talking about, the research that you've done. As parents, if we get too deep into that, we can all of a sudden become really discouraged and hopeless and feel like, well, 
there's nothing I can do. The trajectory that our world and culture is going, it's like it's impossible to navigate. Um, So, I mean, what you said right there was so encouraging, but what other hope would you offer parents who are going to listen or read your book or read some of the studies that are coming out and think, man, what... What there's nothing I can do. They're, the world is against us, and they just kind of feel hopeless. So here's the bottom line of what the data has shown, as far as I'm aware, and this comes from sociologists like Christian Smith, who've been studying generational transmission for years. The number one influence on the faith and worldview of a young person is not Disney Plus, hmm. it's not Netflix, it's not TikTok, it's not Hollywood. It's not the educational system. It's mom and dad. Yeah. All the studies show that. Period. Now, that doesn't mean if a kid walks away, it's mom and dad's fault. It's never that simple. That's not my point. But as a whole, with our kids, we have the power. Now, I understand a lot of parents feel powerless with smartphones, with the educational system. Like, I get that. But one of the things that Jim and I are trying to do in the book is just simply say, rather than giving parents an entirely new program that some people would do for a couple weeks and then stop doing and then feel guilty that they weren't doing it, let's help parents more strategically use the opportunities that are present right in front of them. That's good. And so the big picture is, number one, We have to live lives, if we care about faith transmission, that are compelling and authentic to our kids. Look in the mirror. Number two, build relationships with your kids. Spend time with your kids. Listen to your kids. Do things that are important to them. Sacrifice for your kids. And third, look for natural ways to have spiritual conversations with kids, like it says in Deuteronomy. When you're Driving, of course, Deuteronomy doesn't say when you're driving, but it says when you walk <laughs> along the road means when you travel. Yeah. When you're at the dinner table, uh, regularly having conversations with the kids. So if I can, I'll just give you one practical thing of how I try to do this. My son came when he's graduated from high school, and he's in a gap year. And he came to me four years ago when he was 14, and the movie uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out about the rock band Queen. Yeah. And he right. wanted to see it. It was PG-13. I knew he was going to have some ideas that I was going to be super happy about. But I looked out. I was like, you know, it's PG-13. He's old enough. He wants to go. I said, sure, I'll take you and a friend and I'll pay for $100 for tickets and popcorn and, you know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, which even more in Southern California, for the record. I said, but only one thing is when we're done, I just want to know what you think about it. Mm. He goes, sure, Dad. So we go to the movie, come back, sit down, probably 30 minutes. And I just said, hey, tell me what you thought about the movie. What was your favorite scene? Hey, as Christians, are there things in this movie we can celebrate, we can agree with? I said, are there any times that gave you pause? Did you ever feel preached at in this movie? And we just talked about it. And just 15 minutes ago, my son at this gap year texted me something one of the guest speakers was saying. He's like, dad, I'm not sure about this. What do you think? Why does he care about what I think? I didn't lecture my son, although sometimes I did lecture my son, and maybe some of those I would take back, to be (laughs) honest. But as a whole, that was not my approach. It's let's have conversation. Let's build a relationship. Let's talk about these things and bring it back to Scripture. And to go to your question earlier, this starts younger. My son was—he's 10 now, my youngest. He was 8 in the car driving two years ago. 
And because he heard something at school, he goes, Dad, what's abortion? Hmm. And he's eight. I wish I didn't have to have that conversation with eight-year-old, but to me, this is an opportunity. So instead of saying, don't talk about that, or saying, well, it's not a big deal and change the subject, in my mind, I thought, here's an opportunity. So I said, hey, son, sometimes women get pregnant and for different reasons decide they don't want to have the baby. Well, why would they do that, dad? And I did my best to give an age-appropriate response. I didn't freak out. I invited the question, and we have a conversation. That's what I would encourage parents to do. Model, build relationships, have spiritual conversation with your kids, which is not a lecture, but involves asking good questions, not freaking out or being quick to judge, yeah. and being a good listener. That's good. I love that. I mean, because we're not avoiding culture. You're not avoiding culture when you when you have those conversations, when you take your son to see the movie, but you're engaging with it, which is inevitably how you're going to navigate you know, the worldview that they're being kind of offered. In this season of our podcast, we're talking about countercultural parenting. Mm. Um, and you talk about having a biblical worldview as a family. And I'm curious as to where you see the biblical worldview facing the greatest cultural opposition in this generation. And how could we address that? Oh, gosh, that's a tough question. <laughs> I, I, I guess there's two ways to look at this. There's particular issues that seem to be more pressing. But there's also a deeper mindset that's being pushed into this generation that many don't realize. So if I were to take issues, it would probably be issues, clearly issues of sexuality. We're seeing a divide between LGBTQ views of sexuality and historic Christian views. And this isn't academic for kids. It's all over social media, Disney, Netflix, their friends. It's a personal issue for them. We're seeing that. Issues of science and faith continue to be big questions with this generation. Do I have to reject science? Are science and faith compatible? There's also a lot of questions about the exclusivity. Is Jesus really the only way? How can we believe that? That feels intolerant and exclusive. Those are some of the big kinds of questions. But underneath this, I think it's a larger cultural shift that just says, you be you. You are the authority of your life. If it feels good, do it. If that's your truth, live it out. We're told that truth is internal and everybody needs to celebrate that. Well, the Bible is like, no, there's a truth outside of ourselves and we conform our lives to that truth. So I think it's not, I think when we look at the issues that I mentioned, in some ways they're a deeper extension of underlying tensions about things like freedom. Is freedom doing whatever I want without restraint? Or is freedom aligning and orienting myself with God's truth and the world that he made? I think that underlying difference about authority and where truth lies, that's the deeper issue that manifests itself in different topics that people are facing today. 
That's so good. good. Okay. Well, on to some more hopeful things. I think, uh, Sean, it would really uh, bless our listeners to hear from you. What do you see or think that God is doing with this generation? Just for the record, the fact that you went hopeful, you're such a millennial, Chelsea. I couldn't resist. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We got to end positive. By the way, we do the same thing on our podcast. It's always like, what's positive? Well, let me just say, let me say one thing in particular that just hit me this morning. I was reading the study of the state of the Bible, and they said, even though Bible engagement is down, curiosity about the Bible is still a majority of generations would say they're curious about it. Hmm. The highest generation is Gen Z. They describe themselves as the most curious. I didn't expect that, Hmm. but I look at that as like an open door. So the moment I hit that, I started thinking, how can I capitalize that on social media? Maybe it's just doing a, a, a post that says, have you ever wondered why the Bible has shaped the world more than any other book. Hmm. Have you ever wondered why more people have read and continue to read the Bible over any other book? What is it about the Bible? And leave it there. So it just got me thinking about this generation. Although we see less and less Bible engagement, less and less biblical views, there's a curiosity that we can reach into. And you know what? Statistics aside, I meet a lot of amazing young Gen Zers who God has his hand on. Mm. And so from the top down, we can look, but you know what? There are some remarkable young people and it's a privilege and an opportunity to engage this generation. I was speaking on Gen Z to a group of adults and uh, afterwards a student came up to me and she said, you know what? I'm a Gen Zer and I was tempted to just leave the church because people are so negative about Gen Z. Mm. She was literally in tears. And she said, the fact that you're positive about this generation gives me hope. So gave you a hard time, Chelsea. I was just kidding. But the reality is we have <laughs> to approach this generation. It's an opportunity to parent them. It's a privilege to reach them. Yeah. God is sovereign and is going to use this generation, whether it's in ways we like it or not. But what they need more than anything is parents and grandparents to just step into their life and help them be the generation that God has designed them to be. Last thing is, look, when I look on social media, I see a lot of bizarre, crazy behavior. You know what a lot of that is? It's a generation saying, do you see me? Mm-hmm. Do I matter? Will you pay attention to me? That's the heart of this generation. They are open and eager for adults to step in and call them the beloved. That's Mm. good. Yeah, we need to hear that. Well, I'm always, I always kind of take myself back when I think about our our current cultural movements and how um, opposed they seem to be to the scriptures and to God. And to think about Paul saying to us in the scriptures, you're going to shine like stars in this crooked and depraved mm. generation and going there there isn't a generation of believers or Christ followers that looked around and said hey the culture is is for this right we've always looked right. around and seen the depravity um that the curse brought so although it does feel different honestly like we're tempted to say it's worse um is it uh, in some sense i think probably not it's just so different that the challenges seem seem new but uh, the reality is 
people need God. People are far from God. And so we can help bridge right. that gap. Amen. So there's a lot, a lot to have hope in. So much of your book is rooted in the idea of love. Tell us why that's the backbone to what you're advocating for and how we interact with young people today. Well, two things. Number one, Jay Warner Wallace and I are apologists. So we wanted to reach a lot more people outside of the apologetic world who tend to just say truth, truth, truth. Mm. Whereas in the Bible, it's love and truth. Jesus came in grace and he came in truth. But second, what's the greatest commandment? Love God. Exactly. And love other people. We are here to be in relationship with God and relationship with others. But finally, everybody agrees we should love, but there's tension in our culture over what love is. That's true. Over what love looks like over what love does. yeah. So we have to begin with a biblical understanding and call of love rather than being conformed, like Paul says in Romans 12 too, to a unbiblical worldly definition of love. So for those reasons, we really couch the whole book, love equips, love engages, etc. That's good. Okay, well, you talked about that biblical curiosity that a lot of young people have, which honestly was really encouraging to hear. Um, Tell us what you see in God's word that you think really resonates with this generation. Here's what I'm going to say. I had a conversation with my father who's spoken to more young people live probably than anybody in history, over 1,200 universities. And when he started in the 70s, maybe in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s, The problem with the world was viewed as being out there. Mm -hmm. It's external. It's the war. It's something external. But now people think the problem lies within, within me. It's shifted internally. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So this is a generation crying out for authenticity, for significance, for identity, But the Bible says you can ground those in being made in the image of God, in your relationship with God, and your relationship with others in the church. So it's a generation with high anxiety, quick change, and yet the scriptures say there's something true about you, how you are made, and there's a God who never changes. So I think in a generation just brought into instability, who's come through the pandemic and their lives were unsettled, the Christian message says, you know what? God is sovereign and God is good. And you can ground your identity in what this good God says about you. I think when young people understand that, I think it's profoundly freeing and liberating from all the messages of this world that says you have to have a certain number of followers, you have to have a certain level of success, you have to physically look a certain way. These voices are incessant. The Bible says you have value because there's a God who is good who made you. Mm. That's great. You know, your father would never remember this, but uh, he, he and I had a conversation that made a huge impact on me thinking about exactly what you're talking about, about... um the authenticity this generation seeks. And he said to me, and I've said this to a million people since, this was years ago, Mm. and I'm sure he used it over and over again. But he said, in a past generation, if somebody fell from grace, if somebody had a scandal in leadership in the church, 
that that generation would go, that guy was not living according to the truth we believe. Mm. And in this generation, when somebody has a fall from grace, they tend to go, the truth that guy espouses must not be true. Because there's such a desire for authenticity and such a, it, it should raise the bar a little bit for us to say, hey guys, what, what you're living, that kind of look in the mirror attitude you had, Sean, makes a big difference in the life of a kid. They're looking at you to say, do you believe this? Is this real? Does this make a difference in our lives? And you wouldn't remember this either, Sean, but you and I had dinner once, not uh, maybe a couple of years ago, you were speaking at an event and I was emceeing. And I can just tell our listeners that Sean is is the real deal. And I was so grateful for the time you spent with us. You you uh, taught us some apologetics tonight, but really poured into me in a way that was really uh, significant and godly. You are a pastor uh, in a way that you may not even recognize day after day in the way that you are leading people to answer really tough questions. And so I would love it if, uh, just as we conclude, if there was any way that we can serve you, it would be, I would think through prayer. Would you mind just sharing maybe with our listeners, if they want to pray for Sean McDowell, the McDowell House, for your ministry, how can we be praying for you as we wrap up this episode? Thanks for for sharing that. That's awesome. You remember that about my my dad. And what's interesting is this true for all of us is if this generation is gauging the truth of Christianity through our lives, we better make sure we're living it yeah. and have some authenticity and integrity. That creates some healthy fear in me <laughs> when I see other people fall from grace. Yeah. So w- with that said, for me, you know, my life is busy and it's full. I love what I do, but just God's protection over my family, probably more than anything else, I don't want to get too busy and distracted to have time with my kids. And I don't think I do, but that's just an easy temptation to fall into. I don't want to root my identity in what I do. I just, when when it's all said and done, Adam, I guess here's what I would say. I had a chance to interview on our podcast, Oss Guinness, who's one of my favorite thinkers. And I said, Oss, you know, he's probably 80. I said, what's your legacy going to be? And he goes, you know, Sean, legacy is a secular idea. All that matters is God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah. I will never forget that. Yeah. If When people think of me, I would just ask them to pray that God would just help me be faithful to the things that God has put before me each day, my family, my ministry, my teaching, and we can leave the results to God. That's actually pretty freeing, isn't it? Amen. Mm -hmm. Sean, thank you so much for sharing your insights and for letting us minister alongside you. You are a gift. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple your families, please help us out by giving us a great review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit one of our sponsors, share this episode with one of your friends. And if you want to keep up with us or join the conversation, you can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We love you, listeners. We're looking forward to all that God has for us, and we will see you again next week.